Today on the TalentCast, we get down and dirty with Classdoor, which is surprisingly work-safe, based, you know, even for that title. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the TalentCast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, full disclosure, third cup of coffee has been consumed. There you go. So let's talk tactics. Uh, we've been doing a lot of big, broad, philosophical, theoretical, semi-abstract, mostly strategic conversations lately. Let's get tactical. Let's get serious. Let's get grounded in some some very specific concepts. And we're going to spend today's episode talking specifically and exclusively about Glassdoor. Now, everything we say here can be uh, correlated to pretty much every other review site. But frankly, uh, focusing on other review sites is kind of like saying I care about Bing, but not Glass or but not but not Google. You kind of have to talk about Google. They're the big dogs in the room. And when it comes to corporate reviews and, and employee reviews, Glassdoor is the big dog. Um, yes, they're indeed reviews. Yes, other companies do in reviews. There's comparable. There's a bunch of other. Is comparable or comparably or whatever it is. There's a bunch. But really, step one, focus on the big ones. Focus on Glassdoor. Now, should you care about Glassdoor? Yes, yes, you should absolutely care. If you join any one of Glassdoor's uh, seminars, they will happily throw numbers at you, s- telling you exactly how important Glassdoor is. That's kind of what they're there for. Things like companies that respond to reviews get a, what, 62 or 63% generally higher uh, viewing than companies that do not, that are not engaged. Uh, co- employees, especially, or rather candidates, especially higher level candidates, definitely do check out Glassdoor in the process sometimes it's at the beginning at the top of the funnel when they're thinking about applying sometimes it's when it's they're in the interview process and they're trying to figure out who you are what questions they want to have in the interview process um and sometimes it's a little closer to the end where it's about do you say yes and take an offer they're validating their interest is really what it's about and that's what glassdoor is all about now you Frankly, probably either love or hate Glassdoor. I have yet to meet anybody who doesn't either love or hate. And there's no middle ground. It is black or white, as far as I can tell. And we're not going to get into whether you should love or whether I love. I think it's an incredibly powerful tool, and I do love it for my personal self. Uh, managing a brand, it's definitely a double-edged sword, certainly, and I buy, I get that. <clears throat> and no full disclosure, there's been no financial incentive for me to talk about Glassdoor positively, negatively, or at all, uh, but it, it's definitely a tactic. And when you're talking about employer brand, as you and I love to do, you really should consider Glassdoor. Why? Well, anybody who's serious about employer brand will likely get asked by their boss, how do we measure it. Oh, the dreaded measuring. 
Uh, and the answer, of course, is, well, if we go a longitudinal study and a series of surveys and maybe some monthly pulse surveys of our employers and candidates and, and people and do uh, touch point audits as people who are leaving the process, and well, that will take years. That takes forever. A down and dirty way of measuring your baseline employer brand health right now, imperfect though it may be, is your overall Glassdoor ranking. And you can break it down, and for those of you who use Glassdoor, you know that you can break it down by location and, and career types generally to see, ah, we perform very well for developers, but we perform incredibly poorly for people in Phoenix uh, or whatever your breakdown is. And that's good to know. That gives you some sense of where you have some issues and where you don't have issues and where you should spend your time. But in the end, I like to treat the overall Glassdoor number, i.e. The, the rating you have out of five stars, it's kind of like the light on a dashboard of a car. That is, when the light goes on, first off, what is the, da the light on the dashboard? So when it says check engine, you know what I'm talking about, right? The check engine light on your dashboard. When that light goes off, what's wrong? You don't know. But you know something's wrong. And that light is the indication that you need to do some digging and figure out, or at least your mechanic needs to do some digging, figure out what exactly is wrong. It doesn't tell you what's wrong. It just simply says there are some issues you should investigate. To me, glass door ratings are effectively like that light, that dashboard light. It's going to tell you, you know, things are doing pretty well, and you can kind of keep doing what you're doing. Or things are going poorly, and you need to figure out what, and you need to do a deep dive and figure out what's going on. Glass door ratings can be gamed, and we will talk a little bit about that. Not in that this is how you do it, but I think uh, in this world, everybody games them a little bit. Everybody's trying to find ways to optimize it, and I, I, I'm okay with that. Um, so long as there's not cheating, and Glassdoor does some work to make sure you don't, or tries. Um, and we won't get into cheating, cheating, but we definitely want to try and game and optimize our, our, our Glassdoor usage a bit. Uh, and that's what we want to cover, some of the stuff like that. So let me make sure. I actually took notes for this episode to make sure I kind of hit my stuff. Um, yeah, so I use it as a dashboard metric, and once you know what your overall Glassdoor score is, and I think last I heard the average rating for Glassdoor for a company of any size was about 3.4 or 3.5, so if you're below that, you need to do some work, and even if you're above that, you could do a little work to kind of nudge it in the right direction, but the average is three, call it three and a half, let's just keep it safe. And if you're at a two-something, you got a lot of work to do, and you need to do it stat. People who see two reviews, anything in the two score is like, whoa. Um, but it is easy to get stuck on that big number. It's very easy. It's a nice flashing light. If you're in the twos or you're in the low threes, it's like a, a red flag, and it's kind of hard to look past it and figure out how to dive in. It's, it's, it's almost emotional that a negative score like that means there's a lot of stuff bad. So... First thing you do when you're looking at Glassdoor is figure out, one, where are your issues? So what you need to do is log on your Glassdoor and claim your page and all that good stuff, and you need to start breaking down your numbers. If you've got a score of 3.4, for example, slightly, slightly under average or at average, you need to figure out where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. And that means looking at job roles and looking at locations. If you're a company of any size with multiple job types and multiple locations, each team each department, each office, each location, each region gets managed differently. It gets handled differently. Um, unless you're a McDonald's, and, and frankly, that's the only one I can think of where pretty much all managers are effectively equal. They all run things exactly the same. Yeah, there's some uh, outliers here or there, positive and negative, but in the end, in McDonald's, I mean, have you ever been to a McDonald's that wasn't pretty darn well run? 
Um, I've been to Burger Kings that were like you'd wonder if they they just opened the doors and let it go wild. Um, you couldn't tell who was employees and who was who was eating there. And, and it, it, you know, I've seen some really well-run Burger Kings. I've seen some really poor-run Burger Kings. McDonald's, it's all equal. And I think man, the McDonald's example is is unusual. Most companies have a wildly varied quality of managers and quality of oversight and quality of strategy and quality of employer brand or rather uh, employer experience let's call it that so you might have a location that's doing really well and you would say okay that must suggest that the managers are doing a good job that the recruiters are doing a good job that there's a good employee experience happening there's a good candidate experience happening that people are understanding what they want and regardless of whether they get the job or regardless of whether they're paid well but overall they have a general positive score and you can do some deep diving and look at those reviews to see what is driving that positive score if it turns out that everybody loves the culture or everybody loves the perks or everybody feels the warmth of the team or whatever it is those are good things that means that's what people are responding to right let's be fair let's take a step back everybody wants to get paid more and there are plenty of companies for whom they say we're not paid well enough and they complain and there are plenty of people who feel like I'm not paid well enough, but I'm going to give you a good glass door score because I see the value in the mission or I see the value in the perks or I really like the team or I like the people I'm surrounded with or I'm learning something positive and valuable for myself. Everybody equates the value of a glass door score or correlates it really closely with overall salaries. And I think that's a wrong way to go. As we've talked about before, there are plenty of roles where people are just as an industry not paid very well like teachers uh, but they still have positive and negative feelings about their school of employment um, plenty of teachers aren't paid very well but give their all and give their passion to a to a, a school so it's not a it's not a smart move to correlate the score with salary or to say we can raise the score if we increase the salary or you can listen to the complaints about salary and say that's the biggest problem because it's really not Usually when people are talking about their experience, I mean, think about it. You're not paid very well, but in the end, you took that job knowing what the salary was, and while you think you're worth more, you think you should have gotten a bigger raise or a bigger bonus or what have you, you have to accept that you made that choice, that you're working here, right? That is on you. So to some extent, the salary is not a function of the company. It's a function of the employee, right? And I think people know that subconsciously. And I think that's probably a quibble or an argument that we could get into deeply, but I don't want to. In the end, what people look at when they're thinking about what is my experience here is about the future, right? I had a positive experience now, and I have an, I, I, but I see how the company is going to fail or I see how my department is going to fail or I'm worried about I'm firing. I don't care how good the coffee is or how warm the team is. If we're all terrified we're going to get fired tomorrow, bad scores. Conversely, you know that, that, are, that, that, that the adage that people don't leave companies, they leave bosses? I don't think that's 100% true. I think there are plenty of people who have really bad bosses, and Lord knows I've had my share, if not more than. But if you think that there's hope for the future, the company is going to grow, you're going to grow out from that department, or you're going to grow out from that team, or you're going to grow out from under that manager, if you have hope for the future, you don't mind that your manager kind of sucks and isn't great. You, have, you can have faith in the company. Now, overwhelmingly, if the boss is coming in every day and tearing you a new one and, and, and berating you and treating you bad and harassing you and all that stuff, hope for the future is tough to find. <laughs> and there is a way to overwhelm, overwhelm that. 
But in the end, I will quibble with the whole managers or what people leave. I don't think that's true. I think it's a bigger picture than that. I think that's too facile an argument to say if people are leaving, it's because of managers. I think it's a bigger picture. Anyway, back to Glassdoor reviews. Why did I bring that up? Well, because people will correlate the reviews with either managers or salary, and I don't think that's quite true. So once you've investigated and seen where the positive reviews are, which teams, which departments, which locations, what have you, then you got to go the other way. You got to see where the red flags are on the other side. And you get again, it's a it's a dashboard light saying check the engine. Glassdoor isn't going to tell you what the problem is. In fact, frankly, even if you get a bunch of one scores and you read them and they all say that well, I hate my salary, I hate my boss, that may not be the reason. You really do need to do some deep digging to understand what's going on. Why do I say that? Well, because this is, this is a complicated argument in a, in, a, in a certain way, or it's obvious to you. I can't tell. Um, has anybody broken up with someone? Everybody, right? Okay, good. The person you broke up with, let's presume that it wasn't a crazy person. Again, we probably all have crazy exes in our past, but there are many exes we have that are like, it wasn't so much that you were crazy or I was crazy or you're a bad person. It was simply a matter of we were not a good fit. We were a bad match right? You know, we were initially attracted to each other for whatever reason. And after that kind of died out, we were simply a bad match. We were not a good fit for each other. Jobs the same way. It's not so much that a company is bad because they have low ratings. It's that the company is filled with bad matches and people who feel like this is a bad match and they're going to give you a negative review, right? If you gave your ex a, a review right now, you're not going to give that ex five stars because everybody will look at you like, well, why aren't you with that person? <laughs> you're going to give them two stars. You're going to give them one star. You're going to complain about that silly – they snored. Um, you know, they, were, they didn't want to go out. They didn't like the same movies I liked or whatever it is. They're, you're going you're gonna to focus on that one negative reason, right? You're going to say, look, the reason we're not together is this one thing, and it's, I'm going to magnify it to the point where it's the most important thing. The fact that that person was attractive and interesting for a long time it was funny and great to hang out with and had good friends and had good taste and whatever uh, and that we worked for great together for three or six or 12 months before we finally fell apart that's not what we're going to focus on they're going to say nice things in the review but the review stars are going to be very very negative the same way with a company if someone's been fired guess what <laughs> it doesn't matter how great a time they had it doesn't matter how much they learned they will feel compelled to leave a negative review and find negative things to say because they get fired. They're hurt emotionally, right? That makes perfect sense. And people who have left, even if they had a generally positive experience, will not necessarily say nice things about a company because if they loved it, why didn't they stay, right? If it was such a good match, why didn't they stick around? So if you look at reviews in that kind of light, it really changes your understanding of how and why people review, especially former employees, which is why there's a clear correlation between former employees and lower scores and current employers and higher scores, because the opposite is true. If you stay at this company, regardless of how bad it is, you've still stuck around. You're going to give it a not great review, but you're not going to give it a one star per se, or you're far less likely to. You're going to give it like a three. You're going to say, here are the 20,000 reasons why this job is atrocious or the company is failing or everything's wrong. But at some level, you got to give everybody a reason why you've stuck around, why you're still sticking around, why you haven't left. 
You have to keep that in mind. So when you're looking at these scores and you're trying to figure out why do people say positive and negative things, you've got to keep an eye on that. That listing of former versus current employees, is it speaks volumes about why people respond the way they do and the reviews they leave. And why does that matter? Because Glassdoor is predicated on one simple fact. There's no conversation here. There's no conversation. That person, love you or hate you, can leave your review, and unless they swear or do, you know, reveal proprietary information or a couple of other things that are fairly well defined in the Glassdoor guidelines, there's no removing that review. You can respond to it, but it's not like there's an interaction. You're simply saying, okay, that's true and that's false, or you're going to say whatever you want. We're going to talk about how you respond to things in a second. But that's it. Once you respond to it, case closed. Now, as the, as the company in this case, you get the last word, which is nice. But in the end, you're not going back and forth. At no point, really, is that person going to read your response and go, you know, you're right. I really did have a great time. I really should have made it a four-star instead of a two-star. No, never going to happen. <laughs> and if that, for some reason it did, it's a year before they can re-review anyway. So who cares? So, you're, so I think most people, when they try to start responding to stuff, they start thinking about, well, how do I convince this person that they were wrong? Wrong. That is the absolute wrong way to go about trying to run responses because it's stupid because you can't change anyone's mind. And if you could, how would you know? They're anonymous reviews, and they can't say anything again for another year. And chances are if they've gone a year from now, they're not going to come back and leave another review. Who does that? What crazy – what psychopaths do that? I apologize if you are either psychopathic or you do that. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, whatever. So responding to reviews. So if you know, one, that you understand the mindset a little bit of why people leave positive and negative reviews. Two, you understand that there's no convincing someone that they're wrong. Wrong. Sorry, I, I almost said right or wrong, but it's really wrong. How do you respond to reviews? Now, here's where I get to have some fun because – uh, I read all the articles that people talk about how to respond to Glassdoor, and I swear none of them say anything. <laughs> the, the majority of articles about how to respond to reviews are so broad, they are effectively worthless. They say nothing. So I want to get into as close to specifics as I can to give some value and help you out and help you understand how to respond to reviews, but obviously there are certain things I can't talk about. So how do you respond to reviews? Well, first, rule number one. Say thank you. And by the way, <laughs> these ideas are not mine. You want to go read Thanks for the Feedback and Hug Your Haters. I'll list the books in the, in, the, in the notes. They are the best ways of going, okay, here's how I change my mindset about how I respond to Glassdoor. And by the way, Glassdoor will tell you that you should respond and not only do you have generally more positive feed, uh, uh, sentiment for companies who do respond, you get a little flag in your account that says you're an engaged employer, an open employer, or whatever, by responding to, uh, what's that, I think 10 reviews? Um, which, again, they're going to tell you study show has positive sentiment. Great, whatever. So do you got to say thank you. I don't care if that former employee or current employee tore you a new one, told you you were a Satan incarnate, that you make uh, explosive toys, that you are polluting not only the environment but human souls. Uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say. Thank them. Thank them. Why? Because you can't convince them they're wrong, right? You've already established that. There's no winning this argument because there's no argument. 
all you're doing is creating a case, giving, giving yourself some wiggle room. In effect, Glaster reviews are like the end of a court case. And I just, I know, I know I'm like the last person, so I, I just watched the uh, OJ, American People versus OJ, the American Crime Story. It just landed on Netflix a couple weeks, not a couple months ago. And I finally watched it, I know. So I got it on my brain. Glassdoor is like closing remarks in a court case if you're in the U.S. I have no idea how it works in any other countries. Whereas each party gets a chance to say why, to establish a narrative, right? To say you should definitely appeal or you should definitely acquit this person because there's no way they could have done it. They weren't even in the country at the time. They were paralyzed. Uh, they whatever. You have to. You know, you're trying to establish reasonable doubt or why that couldn't happen and the, and the prosecution has to establish the why there's no question that this person absolutely did it here's all the hard evidence here's the circumstantial evidence here's the picture here's what had to have happened here's their mindset you're establishing a case and it's up to the jury to decide who they believe Glassdoor is the same way your job is to give closing remarks so say thank you why because it makes you look like not a son of a whatever because that person just called you every name under the sun, poisoning souls, child of Satan, et cetera, et cetera. Say thanks for the re review. We really appreciate the feedback, whether we agree with it or not. Guess what? You are now on the higher ground, which is a much better place to be overall, right? You want the higher ground. You just do. It's just an easier way to do that. Now, having said thank you, your job is not to refute. I mean, there are occasions when refuting is absolutely the right way to go, and that is when it's defensible. If that person says, as a company that makes poison rubber nipples for bottles, and again, that's a Parks and Reference joke, Parks and Rec joke, um, and you don't actually make rubber nipples for bottles. You don't even make rubber. You can say, look, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't actually make that product, and we haven't ever. That's a defensible fact. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. If you say they're Scottsboro, Arizona, Scottsboro, it's Arizona, right? I think it's Arizona. Scottsboro, Arizona, Scottsboro, Scottsdale. Oh my God, pick another, pick another city, James. Your Seattle, Washington office, um, you know, smells funny. We don't even, if you, if you can say we don't even have oh, Seattle, Washington office, congratulations, you've won the argument because everything they've said is tainted because they're not speaking the truth or they're crazy, right? You've revealed very quickly that that person is crazy. And if this is a court case, and it is, you've just revealed a tragic flaw in their argument, rendering the rest of their case moot, right? So if you can refute because of a fact, not your opinion, and you're, it's very tough because what you think of as fact is almost always opinion because you're in the middle of it and you know, but if it's not defensible, meaning if I say everybody knows the sky is blue, the sky being blue is not actually a defensible point. If you, really, it isn't. Because if I'm colorblind or I'm blind, you can't prove it to me. You can't. You can't prove to me that the sky is blue. I have to take your word for it. And that is not a defensible point. Thus, it is an opinion, not a fact. So if you don't know if it's an opinion or fact, leave it off. Don't refute it. But if you, if you can prove, if, it's, if, the, if the data point is sitting in Wikipedia, there's a great point of reference, right? If, you, if Wikipedia says that that thing is true, it's probably true. That is probably a defensible fact. For 99.93% of all other cases, don't refute. If it's not defensible, if it's not a fact, do not refute. Instead, reframe. 
reframe. If this person says the management in this company is barely awake, they don't communicate very well, uh, they don't do this, they don't do that, they're not connected to what the company does every day. If my manager um, never paid attention to what I was doing, they were only there when I made, got, did something wrong and yelled at me, that sounds like a horrible place to work, doesn't it? Is that a place you'd want to work? No, of course not. And your job is not to say, no, no, we have great, loving, caring, wonderfully well-trained managers because that's opinion. You can't refute that. That was their experience. That was their subjective experience and opinion. You can't refute that. Don't try because when you do, when you do try to refute that stuff, you look like the jerk. You know why? Because you're the employer. You're the one in power. If you're in power, you have to be the nice guy. That's why you start with, and I apologize for gender-specific guy, you have to be the nice person. You have to be the nice one. You have to be magnanimous. You have to be the bigger person in this argument. You, that's why you start by thanking them, to set the stage that you are the bigger person. Now, when you reframe, what you're saying is, you know what, those things sound horrible. I'm sorry that was your experience. Hold on, I think I may have kicked my microphone out. Nope, we're good. All right, we're good. Um, we're sorry that may have been your experience, we see that we are not a micromanaging company. We don't like to structure people's workloads. We are there to give them all the room to run they can, to come up with new ideas, to come up with new ways of doing business, to come up with new ways of uh, new uh, revenue streams. And really, we see our management as there to make sure you stay within very broad guidelines, very broad rules. And we're very sorry that you didn't see it that way. So what does that do? It reframes. It says, look, all those things may be true from your point of view. Our point of view is that those things might be true, but they're not about chaos. They're about openness. They're about flexibility. Now, when you do that, you've led the reader to one inescapable conclusion. This place has loose management. And what happens is, is that person goes, that sounds terrible. Or that sounds fantastic, right? Your average, not your average, I'm not gonna do that. Some people love rules, some people love rules and they love the concept of having good management and structure and process and they will say, you know what? This isn't gonna be a good fit and they walk away and good because they were gonna be a bad fit. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. However, me and some of you, I haven't met a rule I haven't tried to break. <laughs> <laughs> Gravity, I think, is the only one. Um, the concept of, look, there's a lot of loose space. There's a lot of room to rumble. That Wow, that sounds fantastic. The fact that that's a one- and two-star review. Yeah, I, I'm reading between the lines. I'm understanding why that's a bad match. I'm not saying that someone was right and someone was wrong. Again, you can't 
You're not proving a case. You're not tr proving a point. You're not trying to be right or wrong. It's about using this review to frame your employer brand. Yeah, I did it. I brought it all the way back to employer brand. You're welcome. Um, that's what it means to be an employer brand. We've talked before about an employer brand that is broad and, and, and edgeless and poorly defined is worthless. Glassdoor is a chance to define the edges because what we're saying is in, in this case, you know, this, this chaos versus uh, 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 open non-micromanagement style, you're defining more where the edge is. Look, if you're someone who needs rules, we're all about success, which is a broad, basically worthless employer brand. Don't do that. But if success means you have to make your own success and we're not going to stand in your way except for some very particular guidelines, which means you won't get a lot of uh, hand-holding and you won't get a lot of support, you won't get a lot of rules or structure, that's different than we're all about success. That's an edge. That's as far as that concept of success goes for us. Some companies, their concept of success is process and support and hand-holding and rules and, and all that stuff. And some companies are not. And when you say your brand is all about success, what the hell do you mean? Which of those is true? Because to someone who loves rules, success is predicated on rules. And for someone like me, for whom rules are a pain in the ass, success is predicated on having as few as possible. But if you just say it's all about success, no one knows what you mean. That's why Glassdoor is fantastic at helping frame and establish your employer brand. That's why you don't refute, you reframe. Let's say someone says the salaries are low. Their complaint is the salaries are low. Okay. You know that you don't have a lottery ticket to hand everybody and everybody isn't going to be a millionaire when the end of this, this, this is for whatever reason, you don't pay top of the market because you're not Google and Facebook who are almost always top of the market, which again, I don't understand why since everybody wants to work there. You'd think the law of supply and demand would dictate that the salaries could be lower there, but whatever, 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 not going to get there. Um, you don't even pay what you understand to be baseline market. Maybe your company isn't even big enough to have a compensation team to understand what the baseline is. Uh, my mother, who does not listen to this podcast, I'm almost certain, uh, owned a business and did not pay very well. She owned a painting business. It's not hers anymore. I'm not going to talk about it, but she did not pay great. And she would complain about how she couldn't attract people. I was like, yes, you're, you're, you're paying lower level in the salary. She goes, no, this is the average. Like, well, yes, yeah, the average, but you work in Texas, and most of the people who you know, are in your industry are, uh, I'm not going to say illegal because that's not necessarily true, but they're not necessarily documented, or there's certainly a huge number of paid-under-the-table employees, which means you get to pay them less. And that knocks down the average for what you think the average rate is. The average artisan who you want to hire normally gets paid a lot more. They, she didn't know what the average was. She just looked around and said, this is what I can bring in, and that's what I think the average is. And it's only companies that are big enough to have a compensation team to understand what the average salary is know what the average salary is. <laughs> if you own a business, how much time do you have? You're, you're doing a million things at once, right? How much time do you have to go look at Glassdoor's uh, salary reviews and say, am I paying top, middle, or bottom? You don't have that kind of time. You got a million more pressing issues. You don't know. Chances are you don't know. So either you don't know or you do know and you know that you pay less than, than, than top of the market. You're in the middle or slightly less. So that's the complaint. To get back to my point, and yes, I have one. 
what do you do? You can't refute because, again, feeling like I get paid less than I'm worth is an opinion. Please, for the love of God, do not refute that. You cannot win that fight. Instead, you reframe. You say, look, we don't get paid. Everybody wants to get paid more. We understand that. We're here because of the mission to serve X, to serve veterans, to serve the, the wildlife, to serve teachers, to serve uh, blood donors, to serve the ecology, to serve um, small businesses, to serve homeowners, whatever it is, whoever your audience is. And I'm not even talking about nonprofits. This isn't a nonprofit game. Lots of companies have a mission to serve somebody. Think of Etsy. Etsy's a cool company. It's having some problems at the moment, but its job, its mission is to serve the artisan, the local artisan all across the globe to help bring their products to market everywhere in the world. That's who they're there to serve. And if you love the concept of local artisans, if you think of yourself as an as a artisan wannabe, you might be willing to take less money because you're serving a mission that satisfies your soul. Thus, the review for that, the reframe for that, where they say I wasn't paid very much, well, that means you weren't connected to the mission. So after you thank that person for their wonderful review, you say, look, not everybody, you know, we, you're absolutely right, we do not pay top of the market. We are looking for people who are interested in serving our particular mission, and we hope you're very happy wherever you land next. You are magnanimous. You are generous. You are open. You are reframing. You're bringing it back to your employer brand. That's a win. How do you know it's a win? Well, one, you weren't a total jerk about it. Two, you've had the opportunity re to reestablish your brand. And again, a brand is a pattern. So every time you touch anybody, any candidate, any employee, it's a chance to reinforce that pattern. And this is a chance for you to reframe any particular argument to say, yes, that's true. Th that's a problem because you didn't quite fit. You didn't fit with a mission. You didn't fit with a structure. You didn't fit with the organization. You didn't fit with a culture. Whatever it is, you just didn't fit. You can see how this is like dating. It's not that I don't love you. It's not that you're not fantastic. It's just that's not the stuff I love. You and I are not compatible. Okay, no biggie. That's fair, right? So that's how you respond. And this is a long podcast, I'm guessing, because we're already a half hour into it. I got a big other, whole other section to go to. There's another point to remember when it comes to responding to reviews. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't. You don't. You don't have to respond to all of them. You don't have to respond to any of them. There is value in responding to some of them. If this person, the person who reviews says horrible things and you're like, you know what? Those are fair points and I really can't refute them and I really can't reframe them, walk away. You're not there. This isn't debate class in high school. You're not there to refute every single point. Let some of them go. You just, some of them are just you know, there's a there's an adage that I don't think we, we especially on Twitter, I don't think we agree with enough and abide by enough, and that is do not engage with the crazy people. I think it's a great rule of thumb in life. Do not engage with the crazy people. You cannot engage rationally with a crazy person. You just can't. You can't. So if someone is leaving a crazy review and you're like, oh, I can't, I don't know where to begin with that, or man, this is just all over the map and I don't know what to do, don't engage. Have a conversation with someone who seems irrational. When you are ignoring the crazy ones, the average reader will go, yeah, that person seems kind of out of line or all over the map, or I'm not sure how I would respond to that either. Don't worry. They're not going to ding you because he said, well, you responded to, of, of these ten, last 10 reviews, you responded to nine of them. But this one, which sounds crazy, you didn't respond to, you're a jerk. No one thinks that. 
they're going to say, yeah, you didn't get to all of them. We get it. You wanted to respond to the ones that mattered to you. You don't have to swing at every pitch. You don't have to respond to every argument. You do not have to respond to every single review. So don't. Pick your battles. Pick your battles. The better part of valor, right? you got to make sure that when you're picking your battles, it is an argument that you can use to reinforce your employee brand. That's what you're here to do. You're not here to convince them that you're right. We talked about that. So don't. Let it go. Let that pitch go right past the plate. I don't know why I'm doing baseball references because I think baseball is boring. I'm sorry if you love baseball. Enjoy. All right. So now that that's, that's, review, that's how you respond, and frankly, um, hopefully that's enough to kind of get you to understand and look at your own reviews and say, how could I possibly respond to this stuff? Because there's stuff out there that is, is tough to respond to. You have to come in and not to say, here's why you're wrong, but to reframe, to say, here's how we see things differently. That's really what it's about. It's not about you're wrong and let me show you how I'm right. It's about here's how we see our company and what we're trying to do and here's who we're trying to attract and here's the kind of employee who is very, very successful here. How do I know? Because I've got dozens of them behind me who still work here who are leaving positive reviews. So there's clearly something good here and it's not because they're the idiots and they don't know better even though that's what you're claiming. At least that's what you're implying. You gotta figure out how to reinforce that. Okay, second thing. And this is just me. This isn't about responding. It's, well, it kind of is, sort of, but not really. If you see positive reviews, hit helpful. Now, the way your reviews are calculated is not obvious. Why? Well, because as reviews get older, they degrade, meaning a one-star review from five years ago doesn't count nearly as much as a one-star review from today. It doesn't impact that overall score. There's an algorithm at work, and we don't know what it is. Which means, as you get positive reviews, yes, it'll float your score, but you can't estimate how many. You can't do the math to figure out if I get 10 scores of 5 stars, how will that impact me? How can I expect that? Will that bump me up from a 3-4 to a 3-5 or a 3-6? You can't know that. Because if you could know that, a uh, glass door wouldn't be nearly as cool. <laughs> so if that's true, and we know that it is, as a company, as a person who might own Glassdoor, and I do not, but if I did, I would say there might be other factors that go into my overall score. And I might say, if everybody flags this review as helpful, positive or negative, I might weight that review higher, or higher for longer. Now we don't know that that's true, but instinct says, yeah it is. <laughs> Well, at least my instinct says. So since it doesn't cost you a damn thing, if you see a positive review, just click helpful. It might actually help. It might do nothing, but I'm guessing it will do something and something good. So there's that. So there's a, a tactic. There's a takeaway you can, you can achieve right now. Okay, last section, third section, last section. So Glassdoor will tell you that if you try to game the system, if you try to cheat, if you try to manufacture positive reviews and float them in, they will ding you. They will find a way to figure it out. They'll see that all the positive reviews are coming from 17 different accounts from the same IP address, strangely. They will flag you for it. And they, will, they will discount those reviews. Or they will destroy those reviews or whatever. They're trying to do a good job to keep you from gaming it too hard. However, however, you should, and Glassdoor again will tell you you should, ask your employees to review. Not for the sake of this is how you get a higher review, but simply to say this is a pulse check. 
This is a way we learn about our company. This is the way we see that we tell the world and see for ourselves, this is where we are and this is who we are. No company has a perfect score. No company. So you can't sway. It's an, it's, it's an aspiration at best. And frankly, it's a star so far away that no one could possibly get to it. Um, so don't bother. But what you can do is say, look, where are we? Are we at a 2.9 or are we at a 3.9? These are two very different positions. So that's how Glassdoor would say it. Now, I would say it because I'm not paid by Glassdoor. I'm here to help you. You're welcome. I would say, yes, you should have current employees review you. Why? As we started beginning, current employees are more likely to have a higher reason to like you, or at least a higher reason to say they like you and leave a positive score than someone who's gone. Whether it's true or not, that's regard, you know, immaterial. They're more likely to give you a better rating. However, however, we all know employees who are working here who are loud and angry and pissy and hate working there. And we'll tell anybody who, who draws breath that that's the case. No one said you had to invite them. No one said when you asked employees to review, to review your company that you had to ask everyone. So if you're a company of any size and you're like, well, wait, if I'm only going to give the request or the invitation or at least the nudge to review only to best employees, how can I possibly know that? There's a thousand people in my company. Great question. Here's what I would do. I would find the VPs or whatever your second in command under the owner, president, founder, CEO type person is. And I would talk to them and I would say, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send an email to everybody who reports to you. And it's going to ask them to identify the people in this company who get it. Now, get it is ill-defined and on purpose, meaning it's not so much that they're in love with this company and they've got your company's brand tattooed on their face. It's a matter of they understand what we're trying to do here and they're going along with it and they're in enthused they're, they're they're encouraging they're hopeful for the future you know who they are send this email to them right so you have a communication package and again in my world all things are solved by good marketing and communication that's my problem and I, it was my cross to bear and there you are but i think it does help so if you say hey vp what i'm going to do is send you I'm going to send an email to all your direct reports asking them to send an invitation to review our company to the employees who get it. One, you're getting top-down leadership buy-in, which is good. And when that direct report says, hey, to their boss, what's this, what's this email? The, the VP says, yeah, don't worry. You should absolutely send that out. This is important. You will get actual action. Because when a boss sends an email saying, hey, you should probably review our company to their direct report, Chances are they're going to read it and respond. If a stranger in HR says, hey, everybody, you should send, you should do this thing, no one responds. No one responds. HR sends a lot of emails. People don't read them all. Trust me, HR will complain about how little their emails get read. Um, so don't. Have that be communicated via their boss. And that boss can figure out who to send that invite to, who gets it and who doesn't. And they send the invites to those who get it. Now, you're just, to some extent, you're saying, well, why wouldn't I send it to everybody? They'll get more ratings and that's good. But if you can filter out 10% of the negatives because they're weighted higher now, you get a much higher score. If your 
you know, think of it as statistical probabilities. If you generally are more likely getting re positive you know, reviews from like people who are likely to be positive, you are going to dramatically increase your score rather than a blanket email, a blast, and that's a phrase I use as derogatorily as I can, and I don't think that's a word, but you understood. Um, you know, instead of blasting everybody and saying, hey, you should review us, you're going to get less response and it's going to be all over the map and you're going to get just the tops and the bottoms. You're going to be people who love you and people who hate you. And that's not going to do you any good. What you're trying to do is filter out the worst of the worst and encourage action. And you do that via the managers. Have the managers identify and pass the message along. And have it look like it came from the manager, not from HR, not from talent, not from employer brand. Have it come from the manager. That's how you get the most positive reviews without breaking the system, without violating any of Glassdoor's rules. And I've actually talked to someone at Glassdoor and this does not break any rules. It's just smart communication. So, how are we doing on time here? I gotta check the time. Do to do, ho ho, 42 minutes. This is a long one, but chock full of tricks and tips and things you can do today. So, to wrap up, because for the love of God, let me stop talking for just a minute. Glassdoor is positive, is useful, it's great as a metric for your employer brand, as a, as, a, as a check engine warning light on your dashboard to indicate something is going well or something is going poorly and you should investigate exactly why. Two, you should definitely respond to as many reviews as you feel comfortable with. You don't have to respond to all of them. You should absolutely thank them at the beginning. You should absolutely not refute unless it's a factual point. Right, you got to keep it to facts. Like I said, ninety-nine point three of the percent of the times, it's a it's an opinion, so don't bother. So don't try and refute. Instead of refuting, you want to reframe because that's allowing you the chance to use someone who didn't work out as an opportunity, as a, as the the crucible against which you shape your brand. You show the world this is what my employer brand is really all about, not in the in an incredibly authentic and honest way. Then respond accordingly. Remember that not everybody's a fit. There's a reason why they give a positive and negative review, and it's not all about you. It's about how they were treated. It's about where they are emotionally. It's about, it's about a lot of things. Don't take it personally. Just use it as an opportunity to re reframe the argument. You can't win. It's not an argument to be won. It's simply a matter of argument that you can reframe to reshape. Finally, you don't have to, not finally, but you don't have to respond to all of them. You can pick your battles. Second, that was a big first, but second, hit helpful on the good ones. Just, you never know. It's an easy thing to do. You might as well do it. Finally, ask people to review, but you don't have to ask everybody. You can be a little more judicious about who you encourage to review. All right. If you thought this was useful, if you, <laughs> I, I want to know. I want to hear responses. Um, I want to hear from people who actually use this and it worked or didn't work. That's great. Uh, otherwise, if you thought this podca podcast was fantastic or horrible, Review us. Go to iTunes, go to Google Play, and leave us a review. We love reviews. We live for reviews. Yes, that says so much about me and my as a human, but there you go. Uh, but we love the reviews. Otherwise, you can always argue with us or talk to me. I, I say us like it's a bunch of people here, and I'm in my empty living room um, with me. You, I would love for you to argue with me or to agree with me or to tell me I'm a jerk via Twitter at the War for Talent or on the website, thetalentcast.com. I say that every single time. You know that by now. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, just one last piece of data. Uh, I am, it's official now, I'm launching a, web, a webinar series, or I'm hosting it rather, I'm not launching it. 
Uh, it's sponsored by The Muse. I don't get paid for it, so I don't mind saying that I do. I don't get any kind of value from this other than it's an opportunity for me to do six different webinars with six employer brand people, some of whom are incredibly smart. I'll let you figure out which ones you think are the most smart. Um, more details I'll put in the show notes as I get them, but uh, take a look. It's uh, Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I'll, there'll be plenty of details in the show notes. Uh, I'll have links and everything. So. Uh, really looking forward to the first one. I think it's September 20th, which uh, is probably about two or three weeks after the after, once you hear this. Um, and like I said, six for the whole fall. So I'm looking forward to them. I really want you to, to pay attention, to, to show up and, and listen because it won't just be me talking. It'll be lots of other smart people talking and me just kind of hosting and emceeing. And I'm really looking forward to doing it. And most importantly, I'm really looking forward to learning a lot from these six very, very different people from very, very different companies with very, very different experiences. I think it's going to be a fantastic series. You should absolutely listen to it. That said, I'm going to go stop talking now. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.